take your Bibles, please, and open them up to the book of Hebrews in the seventh chapter. We return to the passage in Hebrews where we have been for a while. And we will come to chapter 7 and verse 6 once more. And join in standing as we read from Hebrews chapter 7. back up to verse 4 just for the clarity of the thought. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed those who are of the sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law. That is from their brethren though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. And here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom is witnessed that he knows. Father, I ask that you give to us clarity as we think about the blessing of God. I pray that you would give us insight and understanding and help us ponder and rejoice in what it means that Abram was blessed by God, and that we ourselves, through him, are also blessed. We ask that you give us a vision of Jesus that lifts us always. For it's in his name we pray. So last week we talked about blessings in general. But I want to focus it more on this idea that Abram was blessed by God. And throughout all the time of Abraham's life, from his calling, of God for him to leave his family and home and follow him. He knew the blessing of God upon his life. There was nothing that God withheld from him. Abraham trusted God with everything that he possessed, even unto his sacrificial obedience regarding Isaac. Now he had his difficulties. He had his moments of obedience, of disobedience and foolishness. There were times of obstinacy, times of impatience and outright rebellion. But still God remained faithful and continued to bless Abraham because of the promise that he had made and because of his own desire. This is the heart of our own salvation. For we also are blessed. And we are saved upon the very same grounds. God has promised. And God desires to save the people that he has chosen for his own inheritance. So let us consider what it means to be blessed by God. And to learn to delight in our inheritance as the people of God. So aside from the obvious blessing of God's promise to Abraham. I was struck with just how richly God blessed Abraham through the course of his life. God had promised Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to bring you into the land that I'm promising to give you. I'm going to give you more descendants than the stars of the sky, more than the sand of the sea. I'm going to grant you all of the desires that you've ever wanted. I'm going to set my love upon you, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's the blessing of God on Abraham. But there were thousands of little tiny blessings that all had to happen for Abram to come into his inheritance. God making this big blessing, he didn't just produce it out of nowhere and go, bam! Unless we're talking about Isaac, right? <laughs> that sort of did. But all of the rest of the things that God did, God was leading Abraham step by step through all the things that Abraham had to do. 
And at every turning, God continued to bless him. So many times we get caught up in our big vision of what God's going to do. We get caught up in our big idea that God's giving me this dream. God's giving me this goal. God's giving me this purpose. God's giving me this thing. And until I have this thing, I haven't really known the blessing of God. But the truth is, is that every day that we walk with Christ, every day that we dwell in His presence, we know the blessing of God. We know that God has been blessing us and continues to bless us and continues to grace us with His presence, continues to give us all of the good things that are His to give and His alone to give. And so as I was studying through this passage and thinking about blessing and thinking about Abraham in context of blessing, I was just really struck by how many blessings God gave him. Because along the way, those little blessings cemented Abraham unto God. So think with me about this initial thing. And in so many ways, it is the pleasure of God to be good to His people. Right? He is a good God. He delights in giving good things to His people. He delights in surprising us with grace. He delights in the unexpected revelations of glory in the midst of the darkness. He delights in, in surprising us by his own wonder and his own joy. And he delights in giving us a perspective of himself that lifts us beyond what we are. And so often we're, we're living in a mindset and a worldview that says gloom and doom and drum and, and terrible things and all these sorts of ick. And when we let that kind of aim us down, but the truth is, is that God is always calling us to elevate our vision. He's always calling us to lift our eyes to see Him. He's always calling us to examine the world through the fact that He is actively participating in the plan of redemption that He set forth before He ever started anything that He was doing. If He chose us in the Beloved before the foundations of the earth, the plan of redemption has always been the plan. If God chose us in the beloved before the foundation of the world, God's purpose in redeeming a people has always been the purpose. And he's never moved from that. He's never varied in that. He's never changed that intent, and he's never changed that design. And the fullness of everything that God does in our lives involves everything that he brings. So, Abram was blessed by God's will. It was entirely the sovereign will of God to choose and to bless Abram. Look at me at Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. We'll get to this in our morning reading here in a month or three. But Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting in verse 6, it says this. Moses is speaking to the people as they're preparing to enter the promised land. And he says, You are a holy people to the Lord your God. Starting at verse 6. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. And the Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all the peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you 
from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keeps his commandments. And he repays those who hate him to their face. To destroy them, he will not be slack with them who hates him. He will repay them to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, which I command to you today, to observe them. In the end, what we see is that God kept his promise to Israel because he made a promise to Abraham. And it was the will of God to do this according to God's own pleasure. And when we are his, he continues to bless, he continues to preserve, he continues to guide and to direct and to govern everything in our lives. And it is no different for us today than it was in the day of Abraham, except that we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, which is even more. But God is still It is still God's sovereign pleasure to save whom God will save. It is still God's choice and not ours. In John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, John writes, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So what John tells us is that the origin of our salvation is the will of God. It's the purpose of God. It is the design and the intent and the desire of God to save a people. And here's what you need to know about that. God always gets what he wants. <coughs> Amen? There has never been anything which God has desired to do which God has not accomplished. There has never been anything which God has designed which he has also not fulfilled. There has never been a single piece of God's plan which has ever failed and a single determination of God's will which has not come to pass. So think about this with me. If God desired to bless Abram, did God bless Abram? Absolutely he did. Over and over and over and over again. If God desired to save Israel, did God save Israel? Yes. Over and over and over again. He delivered them time and time and time again. And even when there were problems and he would rebuke them, he still delivered them. Did God desire to save a people that includes us? Amen. And if he desires that, can we rest in the certain knowledge that if we are found in Christ, we have been delivered from the pain of death. We have been delivered from the wrath of God. We have been delivered from that which would have destroyed us. Can we know that we belong and that we have been redeemed? Absolutely we and we don't know it because of a quiver in our liver or some feeling that we had or some emotional response because some guy on a piano knew how to play well. We know because God has said, I will accomplish what I set out to accomplish. And when God makes our hearts live, the first sign of a living heart is repentance. That's God's work. That's his covenant with us. That's his testament to us. Because repentance is not something that occurs in dead men. They, they continue to avow their own innocence. They continue to avow their own rightness. They continue to shake their fist in the face of God and say, you have no right to tell me anything. And if you'll think for just a moment, when you were a lost person, you acted in that way. 
But something in you changed in a moment and God gave you a perspective on your sin and a perspective on yourself that suddenly said, I, I'm not right. God, you alone are right. And I ask you to That's not you changing your mind. That's the blessing of God calling a dead man to life. And everything that we do and everything that we are comes out of this blessing which originates in the heart and mind of God and no place else. God determined to bless Abram and he blessed him. And God determined to bless us and we are blessed. Now there were no parts of the blessing that God would withhold from Abram. And there was no part of Abraham's life that was not a part of what was being blessed by God. So every single aspect of Abraham's life and existence, every single aspect of Abraham's behavior, every single aspect of Abraham's actions and his, his personal possessions and all the rest of it were marked out by God for a blessing. And God continued to bless him and continued to give to him and continued to pour out his wealth upon him and continued to do what he was doing. Now, don't worry, I haven't turned into a health and welfare. That's not the point. The idea, though, is that what was appropriate for Abraham's life, God gave him. Everything that Abraham needed, God provided. Abraham was a special person in a special time and a special place. And so we can't equate the exact blessings, but we can equate the truth of blessing that Abraham received according to his need and according to God's plan for his life. And we can equate that same truth to us. What, what that means in simple English is, if there is something that you need, not want, but need it, you can trust God to provide it at the right time and in the right manner. Because there is absolutely nothing that you need that your Father will withhold. Does that make sense? There is nothing that you need, and that's, that's the word that we have to define is need. Need says, I cannot exist without it. Not it's uncomfortable, not it's hard, not it's unpleasant, not I want. I absolutely cannot exist without this. That's a need. You want to know what a need is? Take, take, follow. Let's do this little example. Go, breathe all the air out and don't take any more in. Now you're getting a taste of what need feels like. Right? You need air. There are needs in your life that are as fundamental as breathing. And God knows what they are. And He'll provide them in the fullness of time and in the right amount so that it is a blessing in your life and not a person. So what that means for us is that we must trust Him with everything that we are. Because this is God's working to bless His people. This was God's working to bless Abraham. Did you know how long it was between God promising Abraham a son and God delivering a son? Decades. Do you know what happened in between those two things? Did Abraham continue to walk faithfully? No, not really. Abraham doubted God. Abraham said, hey, I can fix this myself. And now we have conflict over the whole world because of the sin of Abraham. All of the Muslim nations came out of Ishmael. There we are. All the Arab nations came from Ishmael. It, it is Abraham's sin that we're dealing with. And when we doubt what God is doing and we act in our own way, we will always break things. 
We will always make things worse than they should have been. We will always bring difficulty and trial and problems into our lives. Does that mean that God then hated Abraham? God turned away his blessing from Abraham. God said, you know what? Never mind. I'm done with you. You didn't believe me. You didn't trust me. Therefore, I'm out. Is that what happened? No, because Isaac came after Ishmael, right? God still delivered Ishmael, or still let Ishmael come and let these things happen. But God also still delivered Isaac. He fulfilled his promise exactly on time, exactly when he was going to, exactly in the manner he was going to. And Abraham's disobedience did not in any way change God's faithfulness. So here's what I want you to take away from that simple thing. Whatever you've broken in your life, and I promise you there's things you've broken in your life, it doesn't change God's faithfulness. And God has not cast you away, and God has not turned away from you because of that sin. No matter what it feels like, you may be in the midst of it right now. You may be looking at the chaos that you sowed in the things that you did. You may get up every single morning and go, I can't make one more day. I just can't do it. But know this, God is not abandoned. And God has not forsaken you. And God has not cast you off because of your sin. He will deliver what he has promised in the exact right time, and in the exact right amount, and in the exact right way. And your only obligation is to cling to your God and to trust him for his blessing and trust him for his promise. Because nothing you do will change his time. He can't. You cannot alter his plan. You cannot alter his purpose. But what you can do between now and then is make yourself very, very miserable. So I would encourage you to cling to God and to trust Him knowing that He will fulfill His promise. Because even when Abraham messed it up, God was faithful. Even in the midst of Abraham messing it up, God was faithful. He was blessed with protection. So God protected Abraham and would not allow anyone to harm him even when Abraham was actively sinning. So here's the story. Abraham went according to God's instruction to go to Egypt. And he gets down to Egypt and he looks at his beautiful wife, Sarah, and he says, you know, Sarah, you are a fox. And all these Egyptians around you, they're going to see that you're a beautiful woman and they're going to kill me so they can have you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell everybody who asks that you're my sister because then they'll want to be my friend so that they might have a hope of getting you. We won't let them have you. But this will keep us both safe. Well, unfortunately, the one who cast his eye upon Sarah was Pharaoh. <laughs> and Pharaoh didn't ask, he just took her. Didn't make him his wife yet, but he was preparing to. And God afflicted Pharaoh's house with problems. And then revealed why. And Pharaoh came to Abram and said, what have you done? You, you, you could have killed us. This was a wicked thing. But I'm going to give you lots of gifts and lots of stuff so that you and your, your problems go away. <laughs> but listen to how it's described in Genesis chapter 12. Verse 17 says, the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai. Abram's wife. Now, this is 
This is remarkable to me. Because what Abraham did, or Abram at this point in his life, I didn't change his name yet. What Abram did was wrong. Abram sinned. Did God turn his back on him and go, you know what? You made that mess. You just you deal with it. When, when Pharaoh takes your wife, tough rocks. How are you going to have an heir out of Sarah if she's Pharaoh's wife? Huh? What are you going to do about that? What do you think about that, boy? God didn't do that. God protected Abram. And God protected Abram for two reasons. One, that he loved him. But two, he had promised to give him a child by Sarah that would bless the world. He saved him and protected him for the sake of Jesus, who would be delivered through Abram for us. Understand this. God's purposes are far more than you could ever imagine. Now, okay, Abram was a smart guy. He learned his lesson. Not. Look at Genesis chapter 20. We see Abram in another land with another king and the same wife and the same fear. Genesis chapter 20, starting at verse, verse 1. Abraham journeyed from there south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham and Sarah, his wife, said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you've taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her. He said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she's my sister? And she, even she herself said, he's my brother. In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I've done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now therefore, restore the man's wife, for he's a prophet. He will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that she will surely die. And all are yours. Now this is really interesting, because we don't really see Abimelech, who was a Philistine, as a child of God. But God protected Abimelech as well. As well as Abram. As well as enriching Abram through all of this. Again, I point this out because Abraham was still in sin. Not just lying, but not trusting God. The same exact sin, the same exact thing. And, and this would be the plague of Abram's life, which is really ironic when we think about the fact that Abraham believed God and accounted for him as righteousness according to Scripture. But always we find the tension between our sin and our strength. Abram's great sin was the same thing that was Abram's great strength. Either he was trusting God with everything he was, or he was denying God with everything he was. Because that's where we stand. But God continued to bless him. God continued to bless him with protection, continued to bless him with power, and empowered him to overcome many foes when it was needed. So when Lot's people were carried off, God allowed Abraham and his 300 men to go and whoop up on five different nations all by himself. Um, Genesis chapter 14, verse 14 says, When Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And we know that he triumphed and he carried away plunder because that's where Melchizedek comes in just a little bit later in this chapter. 
We also know, though, that God not only protected Abraham and empowered Abraham, but he also shared his own counsel with him in order to teach him his nature. Fast forward a little bit to Genesis chapter 18. Sodom has Noah, Lot has returned to Sodom. We'll get it right. Lot has returned to Sodom and is living there. In fact, he's one of the leaders of Sodom to his shame. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? What's the Lord about to do? He's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So just think this through. God's about to punish a wicked, sinful nation. Sodom and Gomorrah, the twin cities, they're about to be destroyed. And they're about to be destroyed for the exact sin that is plaguing this nation to its eyeballs. Sin of homosexuality, sin of all this gender politics, and all this garbage that's wrapped up was their destruction. But what we find is that God said, you know, before I blow them away, I should let Abraham know. And I should let Abraham know because Abraham's main job in all of this life is to know me. And there's no point in just eradicating this sin and this people who are engaged in this sin if nobody knows why. Because not only do I want Abraham to know me, but I want Abraham to instruct his children. I want Abraham to instruct the generations that come after you see, this is why it's such a problem in this nation when the church backs up from the stand of righteousness and says, oh, it's okay, God doesn't really care. Because God still is God. And God is still going to punish the wicked. And God is still going to exact His justice in the fullness of time. But it's our responsibility to warn the generations to come. And it's our responsibility to speak the truth about what is and what isn't the nature and the will and the purpose of God. And if we will not do that, then those who are punished by God and those who die in their sin die in their ignorance because we have not spoken. Beloved, we have a responsibility to speak the truth. We have a responsibility to speak the truth regardless of what people think about it, regardless of whether or not we're canceled on the internet, regardless of whether or not people hate us, regardless of whether or not the things that we want to have are denied to us because of the things that we say. We have a responsibility to speak the truth, period. And God came specifically to Abraham to tell him what he was about to do. So that Abraham would know the nature of his God. Beloved, hear me. You hold in your hands God's revelation of himself. And you hold in your hands God's revelation of himself. Not only so that you might know who he is. But so that you might tell others. That's why God has saved you. So that the glory of Christ will be proclaimed unto the nations. Even right here in Omega, Kansas. So that the glory of God would be proclaimed even here. To our families, to our friends, to our acquaintances, to the stranger we meet on the street. The truth of who Christ is 
is our one abiding responsibility. And we are called to declare it faithfully. It is to that end that we have been blessed with the knowledge of God. See, God protected Abraham. God gave grace to Abraham. God gave wisdom to Abraham. He instructed him in this. And he also gave him the blessing of other people um, being blessed for his sake. So fast forward in the Sodom and Gomorrah story. God came, talked to Abram. Abram had this little negotiation with God that really was God's intention all along. And God sent his angels to Sodom and Gomorrah with two purposes. One, to destroy the city, but two, to bring out the righteous who were in Sodom and Gomorrah. In the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah, the only people who were found righteous was Lot and his family. His sons-in-laws wouldn't come. His wife, in the end, looked back and was destroyed. So those who escaped from Sodom were Lot and his two daughters. Maybe you've never read this before. But Genesis chapter 19. It came to pass, verse 29, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. And he threw the overthrow, overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Why did Lot get saved? Because of Abraham. Because of Abraham. Well, here, there are people in your life who God blesses for your sake. There are people in your life who God gives mercy and grace and, and glory to for your sake. And I would urge you with everything I have in me to not waste the blessing. We often look at it and go, well, you know, they're, they're doing okay. Yeah, yeah. Why are they doing okay? Because you love them. And God blesses them for your sake. Make certain that part of that blessing is you speaking Christ to them until they either are converted or stop loving you. Don't stop. Because the only thing that is withholding the judgment of God for their sin is His love for you. So speak the truth. Speak it powerfully. Speak it plainly. Speak it directly. Because God blessed Lot by saving him because he remembered Abraham. God also protected Abraham from the random chaos of life in the world and Abraham's people from the random chaos of life in the world. So much so that hundreds of years later when Abraham's descendants were leaving Egypt and they came through the land of Moab, which we read about just a couple of weeks ago in Numbers, they came to a man who hired a prophet named Balaam. And Balaam was hired to curse Israel. We read how that was sort of frustrated by God. But I want to just bring you the, the keynote idea here. Numbers 22, verse 12 said, God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them, that was the people of Moab, and you shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. But God wasn't going to let Balaam do anything that was going to mess up his show. Because God 
had blessed the people of Israel. He had blessed Abram, and he had blessed the descent of Abraham for the sake of the promise that he made to Abraham, and for the sake of the promise which was still yet to come. It was blessed unto his posterity. It was blessed to those who came after him. So God continued to bless the descent of Abraham for the sake of his promise, for the sake of his love, for the sake of the coming promise, that's Christ, and for the sake of those who were promised unto Christ, and that's you. So what we find is that Isaac received the blessing. It's a, it's a restatement of the blessing that God gave to Abram. Jacob received the blessing, although Jacob kind of got it in two parts. He had his first encounter with God at Bethel, but it wasn't a full commitment. And then later on, when Jacob wrestled with God, he got his name changed, and the rest of the blessing was given to him because Jacob was sort of an obstinate sort of fool. Um, but we see this happen, and in the end, what it comes down to is that according to Psalm 115, verses 12 and 13, it says this. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. God will bless his people. And he will bless the posterity of his people. He will bless them with the good that they need, even when the good that they need is not the good that they want. Which means sometimes he will bless us with correction. Listen to Amos, chapter 3, verse 2. You only I have known of all the families of the earth. Wow, that's cool. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. That's not so cool. That's not such a pleasant thought, preacher. Why do I want God to punish me? Well, there's a couple of reasons. And first and foremost, is connected right here to what he says in Amos. I know you. And I know you specially, and I know you intimately, and I know you purposefully. I have known you out of all of the families of all of the earth, and nobody has a relationship with me like you do. Nobody. No matter what they tell you, no matter how they tell you that they're the people, no matter how they tell you that they have truth you need or anything else, you know what God has said. You have the Spirit of God living in you to divide truth from error. You know who you are. You are who you are because God has made you so. With that responsibility of that relationship comes the reality of God correcting our mess. When we sin, when we break things, when we fall down, when we stop trusting, when we get it wrong, God is obligated because He loves us to correct us. You say, that's a lot to take out of one little verse. Well, I didn't take it all from there. So turn me to Hebrews chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews goes into great detail in this idea, and it's worth paying attention to. Hebrews chapter 12, we'll just start at verse 5. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Because the Lord loves whom he chastens and scourges every son that he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which you have all become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. 
Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed, for a few days, chastened us and seemed best to them. But he, for our profit, and the implied statement is for our eternal profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful at the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So why is God chastening us as his children a blessing? Because it is in the process that he does this which conforms us to the age of Christ. Remember, we have been saved for holiness. We have been saved to be in the presence of God. We have been saved to be where he is for all of eternity. And more than to simply be where he is, but to enjoy being where he is. Because remember, the experience of hell and the experience of heaven are quantitatively identical. It is the unfiltered presence of God. That is the experience of heaven and that is the experience of hell. The unfiltered presence of God. In hell, it is the unfiltered presence of God in wrath. In heaven, it is the unfiltered presence of God in love, in joy, in peace, in comfort. But wherever we go, God is. So those people who say to you, I don't want God, I don't want to deal with God, I just want to die, and if I go to hell, that's fine, I'm not going to deal with God anymore. They could not be more wrong. Because what they will find in hell is a God who is pursuing them in wrath for all of eternity. Do you understand the implications for your own life? Do you want to go to heaven and find that you're miserable there? Because you don't like God very much. You don't like his ways. You don't like his glory. You don't like his truth. You don't like what he says. You don't like what he says you can and can't do. That would be hellish. That's why J.C. Ryle famously said that if a lost man managed to get into heaven, he'd jump out the first one that we came to. But the application I want you to take from this right now is that the chastening of God conforms you to his nature so that you are then fit for his presence when you get there. And he does that because you are his children. You are sons and daughters, and he loves you. He doesn't want you to be miserable in his presence. He wants you to love, to delight in his presence. He wants you to enjoy being where he is. He wants you to inherit the fullness of what he has promised you. And the fullness of what he has promised you is joy unending in him. So whatever it takes this side of the grave to make you fit for his presence, embrace it. Lay hold of it and say, Lord, this is my inheritance. Thank you for it. Change me. Make me like unto you. Do whatever is needful to break me of my sin and to make me fit for you. Because in the end, what you're doing is receiving the blessing of your inheritance with both hands open. Well, he will bless us even with correction. He will bless us directly from the source. Now, this is really cool because it was reserved for God alone to be the source of the blessing for Abraham. God would not allow anybody else to bless Abraham because he is 
a jealous God. God was not willing that anybody else would have a say in Abraham's wealth, in Abraham's blessing, in Abraham's inheritance in any way. Abraham caught hold of this. Because remember, when, when the king of Sodom came out and said, oh, thank you for delivering us. I want to give you a, a piece of the money. What did Abraham say? I don't want your money. I don't want you to be able to say you made Abraham rich. You pay my men, that's fine. You can pay them, but I'm not taking anything that yours. I don't want your stuff. You're not the source of my blessing. That's what's underneath that. Who was the source of Abraham's blessing? God and God alone. And this vision of God providing the fullness of it is carried forward into the basis of the Ten Commandments. Look at Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, starting at verse 1, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and to keep my commandments. What is the operative motive of God's cursing or blessing? Either we hate him or we love him. And God says, don't, don't give your allegiance to any other. Don't give them any of your attention. Don't give them any other part of your heart. Don't allow them to have any hold on you. Don't give them any sway in what you're doing. One of the reasons why when, when, the, when the pandemic was going on and, and the government was offering money to businesses and churches and every other things that I would know we're not doing any of that is because as soon as you take their money you also have to take their instruction. I ain't doing it. And God has been abundantly faithful. He is the source of our blessing. It's not the government or anybody else. God is the source of our blessing. And I had people arguing with me, pastors of other churches, going, just take the money. You guys could use it. No. I don't want it. I don't want the strings to come up. In the end, we have to recognize that God is the one that we must serve, and God is the one that we must please. We live unto Him. And He alone becomes the source of our blessing. And God reserved this in Abraham. He would not let anybody else bless Him. He wouldn't let them take oaths in any other name but his. Deuteronomy 10.20 says, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast, and you will take oaths in his name. Exodus 34.14 says, You shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. In 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 3 says, Keep the charge of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. So here's the thing. If we cling to God as the source of our blessing, then we know that we are intentionally and purposefully trying our best to reduce the hold that other things and other people have on us. 
This is one of the reasons why God is so determined that his people walk in righteousness rather than unrighteousness. Because Paul tells us in, in uh, Romans chapter 6 that whoever you obey, you are a slave to the one that you obey. Whether sin leading to death or righteousness leading to life. So if you obey your sin nature and you obey your flesh, you're not just having a good time for a few minutes. You're making yourself a slave. And you are selling something that is precious in the sight of God. And more than that, you are selling something that you do not have the right to sell because it already belongs to God and not to you. Because you're purchased with a price if you're found in Christ. That's why Paul says you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body, which is His. It's how we're called to live. It's how we're called to walk in this blessing. And ultimately, what it means is that God limiting us to this path of saying, okay, God, only you, right? There's some limitation here. All the other things in the world are excluded. That's by definition a limitation. Now, it's a limitation to be attached to that which is unlimited, so it's no real limitation, but it's still a limit. If God limits us to rely only upon Him, what does that mean for your providence? Is He honor-bound to care for you? Absolutely He is. He's bought you, body and soul. He owns you, and He says, I will take care of you. And I will take care of you, and I'm saying this so profoundly that I'm telling you, you're not allowed to lay hold of anything else. You're not allowed to trust anything else for your provision. You're not allowed to trust anything else for your care. You must trust me. That means that God is, is honor-bound to make certain that you are cared for according to what he's doing in your life. You can rest in that. And things might be difficult, and things might become hairy, and things... Might eventually even kill you. But his protection is not for this life. His protection is unto eternity. And what he's doing in your life is a means to an end. And that's where so many people get it wrong. They look at their lives and they say, the end of my life is this thing that I'm living right now. This is my purpose. I'm only living so that I can have all the things that I want, do all the things I want to do, play all the games I want to play. Have all the stuff I want to have, and nothing else matters. But that's actually wrong. It's completely upside down to how God sees your life. God sees everything in your life as grist for his mill. God sees every single aspect and, and attribute and character point and issue in your life as something that he is going to use to fashion in you that which he is desiring to produce for you, which is his blessing in your life for all eternity. And he's not going to let up on that. He's not going to relent. He is not going to stop his determination to bless his people and to bless them truly. Amen? So not only does he bless us directly from his source and from no other, he blesses us exclusively. How many people did God give his promise to when Abraham was called out? But through that one, through all who come through him. 
But it's, it's important that you pay attention to the fact that God did not have a plan B running. He didn't call Abram out of Ur and Charlie out of Arizona or Utah. <laughs> they, there was no extra plan for an extra set of people that were working in a completely different thing and they would somehow come together. There, there was no other place where, where God was doing his work. He blessed Abraham exclusively. He was intentional in his blessing of Abraham exclusively. So much so that he told Abraham's descendants, you only of all the peoples of the earth I've chosen. So Isaiah 51, verses 1 and 2 says this, Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the hole of the pit for which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, his boy, for I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. God goes on to promise the restoration of Zion from that. And in the end, this idea is that God was purposeful and God was intentional in his blessing of Abraham so that nobody else had a hold. And so that nobody else could speak things about God which God himself had not said. God was purposeful in what he was doing. He was intentional in what he was doing. He was delivering and preparing people for his own glory. And God allowed nobody else to have that kind of a relationship with Abraham or with his descent. So every single time Israel tried to run after other gods, what did God do? He brought them back. Right? He slapped them down. He wouldn't let them do it. And he continued to rebuke them, continued to rebuke them, continued to chastise them. And it was always the same song. You've run to the Baals. You've run to the Ashtoreths. You give worship in the high places. You do these things I told you not to do. And what was God's reasoning? By doing those things, you forsake me. What did it finally take to cure Israel of their constant idolatry? Like the Babylonian captivity. It took God taking them out of the promised land for 70 years. But what's it going to take to deliver you from your wanton idolatry? It's a valid question we all have to wrestle with. Because this goes on in every single one of our hearts, and it goes on in every single one of our hearts constantly. God is not going to allow us to pursue other gods. He will not allow any other gods or any other master to have a hold on our loyalty and our affection. Just think it through. The God who provides has a claim on your affection, doesn't he? The God who cares for you, the God who delivers what you need, the God who's watching over you, the God who's given us all this huge list of blessings. Does he not have a hold on our affection? Does he not have a right to demand that we love him and him alone? Absolutely he does. He's proven time and time again that nobody else can love us like he, and that nobody else does love us like he, and that nobody else is worthy of our love except he. And he calls us into this relationship and continues to do all that is necessary so that we will love him and obey him as he deserves. Because in the end, the final blessing of Abraham's life that I want to think with you about this morning is the blessing of submission. And there is great blessing in learning to submit to a sovereign God. 
The relationship of God to Abraham was one that made Abraham submissive to God's will and reserved allegiance for him alone. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy 4, we'll start reading in verse 37. says this. Because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he brought you out of Egypt with his presence and with his mighty power, driving out from before you the nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land as an inheritance as it is this day. Therefore know this day, Consider it in your heart that the Lord Himself is God in heaven above and on the earth below, and there is no other. You shall therefore keep His statutes and His commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God has given you for all time. So even when God chastises Israel, and drives them out from the land that he promised. To whom does it belong? To Israel. To the people of God. I'm not talking about national Israel today. That may or may not be something that God is going to bless. They're acting in ways that are contrary to his love for Christ right now. That's his to sort out. But the descent of Abraham, the people of God, both Jew and Gentile, have been given the promise that what God has promised, He has promised forever. The people of God can rest in the truth that God will always accomplish what He set out to accomplish, but He demands our submission to His authority because He is God. Because of everything that He's given and everything that He's done, and more than that, everything that He is, he demands our submission. He demands our obedience to Him and to Him alone. There should be no contest in our minds when man tells us to do one thing and God tells us to do something else. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. All those that are under my authority and all those that, that live under my power will do as God commands because that is what God requires. And it's not just for Israel, and it's not just for the Jewish descent, but it is for all of the children of God through Abraham, and that is those born of the flesh as well as those born of the Spirit. Now, those born of the flesh but also have to be born of the Spirit. It's a both and for them. But listen to Romans chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. So there's the exclusionary clause. Not every person born to Abram out of the flesh is Israel. Nor are they all children just because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Did Abraham have other children? Yes. He had Ishmael, and then after Sarah died, he took more wives, and he had more children. But to whom was the promise given? Abraham through Isaac. Isaac through Jacob, not Esau. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And the descent of Jacob through Judah into the tribe of Judah, Christ is born. 
It is God's purpose to fulfill His plan and His design. And it is God alone who blesses His people. Now, really quickly before we close, I want you to see the one verse in Hebrews 7 that convinced me that Melchizedek is Christ. The pre-incarnate because this is where we're going to pick it up next week, unless God changes my mind. Which He can do, and often does. But Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there, He receives them, of whom it is witnessed that He lives. Who did the church witness of? that he lived? Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ alone. So, is it an exclusionary thing that God had Melchizedek bless Abraham? No. Because it was God in the form of Melchizedek, a pre-incarnate Christ, who was blessing Abraham, which is why, at some level, Abraham knew who he was dealing with and submitted to the blessing. He received it. And he received it not from an equal, but he received it from a greater. And he gave testimony to this by the giving of tithes. Beloved, understand this. What you receive from God, you always receive from the one who is greater than you. There is never any ground on which we stand with God on equal footing. It, it seems ridiculous to have to say this to people. But it's the truth. He's God. You're not. And that truth should shape everything that we do and everything that we are. It is His glory to bless us. It is not your right to be blessed. It is a gift. It is the mercy of God and He will be faithful to it always. But don't ever think that you ever have the right to stand before God and demand that He do You are His. You are bought. You are His beloved child. You are His blood-bought slave. You are His creation. You are His by every conceivable way by which it could be explained. Submit to your God. Bend the knee. Bend the neck. Yield to who He is. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you give to us grace, Father. I pray that you give us a, a vision of you that compels us, God, to submit, to surrender, to yield to you all that is yours. And I pray, God, that you would give us the ability to declare that truth winsomely to others. That as we convey the message of the gospel, people would not be put off by arrogance in us or a presumption in us, but that we would speak the truth plainly, we would speak the truth clearly, and we would speak the truth with love for them, a desire to see them converted. But more than that, that we would speak the truth with love for you. You would let us not compromise the truth. God, let us be found faithful in all that we do. That Jesus would be honored. And that the King of Kings would receive the glory, the fullness of his reward for which he suffered. We pray, God, that Jesus would be pleased 
and that he would be loved in hearts where he is now despised. We ask it in his precious name. In the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>